You're listening to the Sporting Heroes podcast. My name's Matt Jones and this is the podcast where I speak to people about who it was that they idolised when they were growing up. And my guest for today's episode is somebody who has absolutely lived the dream over the last decade. He grew up supporting Everton as a boy and he is now somebody who gets to cover them as a journalist as well. He used to work for the Liverpool Echo as their Everton correspondent and now he's the guy who does it for The Athletic. It's a warm welcome to Greg O'Keefe. Good afternoon, Matt. I hope you're well, mate. Very well, thank you. Great to have you on. And uh, before we get into all your sporting hero kind of things, obviously we know you as someone who's uh, written for several years about the Blues. How did you first get into football and how did you first get into Everton? Well, Everton was non-negotiable, really. One of those household mates born into a Blue household and kind of absorbed it from from the get-go, really. Um, I would say it's actually probably my mum's family who were more passionate um, Blues. My dad was, uh, you know, he's got a season ticket with my brother now, and you know, wouldn't miss a kick of Everton. But I suppose when I was little, he was, he was a runner, he was an athlete, so he was more focused on that. And it was, it was my, uh, my uncle and uh, my aunties that kind of <laughs> gave me the Everton bug. Um, so I wasn't a case like standing on the terraces with my dad week in week out. That that sort of came later. But then. Um, Looking back, my first one of my first games would have been the '89 final. So it would have been the final at Wembley against Liverpool after Hillsborough, when obviously uh, Everton equalised to take it into extra time. You know, it was pitch invasion, brilliant day, and then the added poignancy of, of what had gone before it, and Liverpool eventually coming out on top. But it was a strange one for your first big game because you remember thinking that Everton we just lost the FA Cup, but equally it, it was everyone was sort of like. To, you know, united at the end, and it it was a, a bittersweet thing. So it was probably a strange introduction to kind of a big, a big final. You know, getting into you know as I went into my teens and early you know, early teens, it's you know the FA Cup final again '95 uh, when Big Joe got us to Wembley, and this time we managed to to do the business thanks to Paul Rideout, and you know it's those memories that sustain you and and, and sort of take you forward. But professionally, I was a news reporter at the Echo for. The first part of my career, but always had an eye on on sort of following like Dave Prentice, you know, you've spoken to in the past, and um, people like that into covering Everton. Um, that was always what I wanted to do. I used to run around to the news agent where I lived in West Derby and, and badger them for the various editions of the Echo during the, the summer to see who they'd signed. That was when there was no kind of uh, Twitter or rolling news, so you, the only way to find out if Everton had managed to get Stan Collymore or whoever it was they were, they were trying to target was to see if you could see it in the, the, the changing editions of the Echo so that would have, that would have been me I used to go and sit outside Belfield and Melwood to be fair but you know mainly Belfield and try and get autographs and um, I suppose my love for the club just kind of spirals from there really Can you remember the first time you walked into Goodison Park? Ooh good question you know what I wish I could kind of give you a nice kind of like uh, sort of poetic answer about that first memory of Goodison Park, but I can't really. Um, it would have been probably in that '89 season, um, maybe sort of '90s. I can remember being in the Glad Street with my uncle. Um, Everton were in. Tony Cotty was up front for Everton, and they were in that um, in that Umbro kit uh, with the sort of. Oh, let me see. It would have been NEC as the sponsor. Uh, I remember it was a sunny day, so it would have been towards the end of the season. Um, and it's just, it's more kind of little snapshots of memory, like the smell of the, of the Bovril from the fella standing next to me and like the roar of the Gladys Street. And, 
you know, the sort of the rage when the referee's decision went against it. <laughs> Those sort of memories and smells and sounds are, are evocative now, but especially so when you're kind of when you when you're a kid. So. I can't remember the exact game, but I can certainly remember those those experiences forming a massive part of, I'd say, like, your psyche when you're younger, really, and sort of now Buddhism, for, for many people, and for me as well, feels like a second home. So uh, I suppose it's like saying, can you remember your first day in your home when you're growing up? It's, <laughs> it's not that straightforward. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. It's Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones, Greg O'Keefe, uh, Everton reporter. Uh, for The Athletic, uh, joining me. Uh, let's talk about you as a sports writer then. Um, when did you get that dream job then? Yeah, well, when did I make the passion professional? Uh, I'd been at the Echo, like I said earlier, as a news writer and a features writer and, you know, kind of really enjoyed that. Covered some um, some significant stories, really, in, sort of like, um, in, in Liverpool in, in the last kind of 10 years or so. Um, some very sad ones as well, kind of. Led, helped lead the Echo's coverage over Michael Shields, who, who was sort of um, a, a victim of miscarriage of justice and locked up after the 2005 Champions League final in uh, in Istanbul. Um, the murder of Rhys Jones, uh, murder of Anthony Walker, and you know, kind of really valued that time as a news reporter. But at the same time, like I said, I always wanted to cover football, and really, if I'm honest, Everton. Um, so. It just, it was one of those things about waiting for the right opportunity, fortunate enough to already be through the door. And then uh, I think the Everton writer of the time moved to a different role and uh, I interviewed for the job and got it. And that was 2009 that I took over. And uh, yeah, it was, although I was actually speaking to this funny enough to a mate the other day, although I'd, at that point I was an experienced reporter. I'm sure you know you'll you'll know the same as me because you know you and I used to attend David Moyes press conferences back in the day. Um, nothing can really prepare you for football journalism. I think it's very different from news journalism. It's as a news reporter, you you have a lot more. I would say maybe maybe a lot more kind of power in in the dynamic of you know when you go to authority or when you go to organisations and you know, so institutions like the police or the council or even government, you know, your demand or your request for information carries a lot more weight. When you're dealing with football clubs, um, it doesn't doesn't carry quite so much weight. You've got to you've got to kind of develop a whole new level of diplomacy in order to try and get, you know, information or or stories or interviews. So uh, and then of course you've got to deal with personalities of, of people like the manager and trainers and players that can be uh, that can be challenging looking back over the uh, the 10 or 11 years that you've been writing about the blues then what are the real moments that stand out that the stories that you're most proud of or the, the games that were the best to cover i mean it's it's one of my great frustrations that i've not been able to cover everton winning a trophy yet i've only seen it happen once um i was alive during like the sort of uh, mid 80s obviously but not really old enough to know what was going on so um i'm still waiting is probably the, the initial response to, to to cover everton actually tangibly achieve some success um being down at you know wembley uh, for the semi-final in 2009 was a memorable day i think any time you get to go to wembley it's always really special um you know being a, i just just from like being at anfield it kind of sounds a bit small time in a sense it was only a draw but just as an occasion, a memory and experience. 
in real time being sat in, in, in the Anfield press box before the new main stand and watching Phil Jagielka score that late equaliser uh, in the derby. Just such a preposterous goal for a centre-back. He wasn't really particularly known for goal scoring. And just the entire Anfield going quiet, apart from the away end. <laughs> just kind of afterwards, just being down at pitch level and, and seeing Jagielka you know, smile as wide as anything, chatting to him, saying, I bet you didn't think you had that in your locker. And, um, you know, Carlo Ancelotti arriving, uh, Fahad Mashiri. I would say when, when Fahad Mashiri arrived was a fascinating time because um, it came out of nowhere. You know, in all honesty, it wasn't something that had been on the cards for a long time. Uh, a lot of journalists were all of a sudden having to sort of Google who is Fahad Mashiri and do the research into into the man who hopefully will be able to take Everton forward to the next level. Um, so yeah, loads of, loads of memorable games, uh, memorable times down at Chelsea in the FA Cup when uh, we won at Stamford Bridge down there, which is very, very rare, certainly in the league, as as we've seen painfully this season, um, and hopefully many more to come. Fingers crossed that is the case. It's Radio City Talk. My name's Matt Jones. Greg O'Keefe uh, joining me uh, to pick his sporting hero. So let's get on to the sporting hero aspect of this chat then, Greg. And uh, you've already talked about the fact that you were a big blue when you were growing up, and I'm guessing it's an Everton legend uh, or cult hero that you're going for as your sporting hero. Of course, yeah. I was gonna, uh, I was gonna shock you and say Johnny Wilkinson or someone like that, <laughs> <laughs> just to uh, throw a spanner in the works. But no, it's it's um, it's Big Dunk, Duncan Ferguson for me. Um, so when he came to Everton, '94, he came to Everton, didn't he, on loan initially? Um, and certain years and times in your life are just uh, are really sort of memorable for, for different reasons. And uh, you know, we I'd lost my granddad that year, and so it always sticks out around about November that year. And so, um, you know, as, as with most people with the grandparents, incredibly close. And clearly it casts a kind of shadow over the, the whole year, over, over your state of mind. And, you know, Everton were, were on the ropes as well. So you're, you're looking for solace in sport, which we all do at different times. You know, probably now in the, this current day and age, we can do with a little bit of sport to distract us. But certainly when you're going through something like, you know, a bereavement, and it wasn't happening. Everton were losing games. Everton were in danger of relegation. Mike Walker was uh, probably kind of way out of his depth as manager. And all of a sudden, Big Joe comes in. And uh, in fairness to Walker, you know, he'd, he'd kind of overseen the deals for, for uh, Duncan Ferguson and Durant to come across from Rangers. But it was Joe who utilised Duncan the best. Um, his loan period until then had looked like it was just a complete failure and he'd be going back to Ibrox uh, with his tail between his legs. Joe transformed him. And uh, I'll just never forget that derby at Goodison Park on a Monday night, Sky Sports. Um, Duncan scores and we, uh, we we beat Liverpool. And then after that, kind of didn't really look back. You know, his celebration of that goal, probably when you, when you speak to Duncan, he'd say that was when he he really truly felt like an Evertonian and it just, you know, it, it built from there. Um, staying up that season, again, really thanks to the combination of Joe and, and the team, the Dogs of War spirit, he managed to build Duncan's lead in a line and becoming a proper centre-forward and weighing him with some massive goals. Um, and then the narrative going forward, it was just, it was always something with Duncan and the next minute, obviously, won the hangovers from his time at in the SPL was was the assault case with John McStay. And, you know, I'm sure 
thousands of blues of a similar age to me will remember so vividly all of a sudden the hero's getting sent to prison so you know one minute he's leading the line for Everton scoring winners knocking defenders out the way and, and you know giving Everton a little bit of defiance and pride next minute he's in Barlini so I you know I kind of like my, like a lot of blues of, of my age at that time I was right I wrote letters to him and I remember walking around the Heritage Market and, and Grady Market and seeing free Duncan Ferguson t-shirts and, and stickers and you know, Duncan wrote back. Duncan uh, later interviewed him at Finch Farm a long time later, and he, he said that those letters were really important to him. That kept his spirits up. Again, just built into him the sort of lifelong Evertonian, what would become a, a lifelong Evertonian identity for him. A lad who was born, you know, up in there, Sterling in Scotland. Um, that support he'd never forget, and, and he clearly has never forgotten. So, um, yeah, it could, couldn't be anyone other than Duncan for me, really. An absolute blues legend for what he did during his uh, two spells there. Um, he has this persona as someone who is not very approachable, but actually, if you do get to meet him, he comes across as a really nice, down-to-earth, pleasant guy who has got plenty of time for you. Do you remember when you first met him? Were you nervous? And then did that kind of get dispelled within a couple of minutes? Yeah, good question, mate. I, well, I actually do remember when I first met him because it was outside Belfield and um, he was driving in, saw me, stopped, a little bit of a chat, signed my autograph, off he went. And then the next time I met him was sat in uh, in Finch Farm when he was back as a coach um, under Roberto Martinez. So before, long before he was assistant manager and, 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 and interim manager uh, this season, obviously. So um, I've been asking the club for a while if I could have a chat with him you know Duncan really doesn't like doing too much media and that was the answer you'd get and then all of a sudden one day he agreed to do it so I you know I'd be lying if I said I wasn't a little bit apprehensive kind of in the meantime since meeting him as a, as a kid you know you, you build up an image of someone who just doesn't really like the media but actually that's not the case I think it's the case being a bit misunderstood I think as he said subsequently yeah, there was a level of mistrust over the media because the coverage of what happened in Scotland and going to prison. But generally, he's quite a shy guy. So meeting him that, that day in Finch Farm, bit of nerves, and it was dispelled straight away, as you say. Lovely fella. Um, wants to know about me. You know, he's like, where are you from? Yes, well, West Derby. He said, uh, I said, I used to come and sit outside Belfield and get your autograph. Next minute, his eyes light up. We're chatting away about that, about, you know, the ground staff at, at Belfield as it was then. Um, and it was almost as if that you know, right, you're good enough for me. Um, basically, anyone who's never told you, uh, he, he would immediately relate to. And it was one of the uh, most enjoyable interviews uh, that I've done as a, as a football reporter. Um, not always the easiest to understand, <laughs> as, as I'm sure <laughs> anyone who's, who's had the, the pleasure of chatting to him when he gets going and, and that Glasgow accent really, what well, you know, sort of just outside of Glasgow accent really starts going. You have to concentrate on it. I can only imagine what it must have been like for Ancelotti and his staff in the early days. Um, it does make me laugh when you see Duncan whispering to Ancelotti on, in the dugout. and You can imagine Ancelotti, uh, certainly in the initial weeks, must have been thinking, I haven't got a clue what this guy's saying. But, um, you know, let, let me tell you, he's worth listening to because he's a really intelligent guy. He's a deep thinker of football. Um, and I think we all saw that during his spell as interim manager when, he just did exactly the right thing at the right time and gave Everton 
rescued Everton again, really, at a time when, when the club needed him, he was there. So I definitely see him as um, as a future manager of the club and and someone who, without a shadow of a doubt, it's not a gimmick, it's not a, a pretension to, to win favour, it's someone who genuinely has got the club to heart. You only have to look at, long before it was um, a popular thing to do on social media for, for footballers, Duncan was going to visit fans who were poorly or you know, maybe were suffering a, a bereavement or um, having difficult times. He was going, he'd just pop around for a cup of tea. That was not something he was doing through the club officially. He'd just do that off his own bat. Um, even his, his message last week, you know, when, when this uh, pandemic, when the seriousness of it became really evident on a global scale in terms of restrictions on our freedom, you know, Duncan posted the video of him. He'd been for a jog, hadn't he? I don't know if you've seen it. And he just speaks from the heart. He was saying, we'll get through this together. And I think he's the, he's the type of, uh, of guy that's um, a real leader by example. And um, yeah, no, like I say, he kind of gave Evertonians of of my age a bit of pride back, you know, alongside Joe Royal and, and that team at that time, Joe Parkinson, you know, Dave Watson, um, so many players, Paul Rideout and Anders Limpar, you know, with, with his skill and flair. Uh, which could sometimes be short, in short supply. Goodison back in the sort of mid-90s, but um, Duncan spearheaded that for me, definitely. Greg O'Keefe from The Athletic, picking his sporting hero on the Sporting Heroes podcast, and what a great person to pick as well in the shape of Duncan Ferguson. We'll completely agree with Greg, someone who is very much uh, misunderstood, and what an icon he has been for Everton uh, for the last 25 years as well. Right, if you hit the subscribe button, you'll get a brand new podcast in your box every single week, as and when I do them. On top of that, you can go back and listen to some of the old editions I've done as well, with the likes of Jamie Carragher, uh, Lee Breers, Rob Sloman, who uh, made that that brilliant Everton film at Howard's Way. There's loads of them. All you have to do is go back and listen.